0: hello and welcome thank you for downloading this podcast please let us know what you think by following and connecting with us on our social media accounts on instagram facebook twitter tiktok vero and tumblr and don't forget to share the show with your friends and family as well as leave a positive rating on your podcast provider as it helps other people find the show My name's Wasim Imam Sahib and this is The Wonderful Words Podcast, a show where I get to have conversations with authors about life, their books, their writing, and the wonderful world of literature itself. My guest for this episode is Ming Chaolin, an author and food writer born in Taiwan but raised in South Africa since she was three years old. We speak about her memoir, Yellow and Confused, which covers her life in South Africa and her dealings with racism and food politics, amongst other things. It's such a wonderful conversation and I must confess we had such a great time. We did laugh out loud here and there. I do apologize for the quality of the audio in those situations, but We did have a great time, and it was a wonderful interview, so do enjoy it.
1: I speak here and through this book of East Asian immigrants from our personal perspective, experiences, interactions, and research. I'm a first-generation immigrant woman, a Taiwanese-born, South Africa, raised from the age of three in Bloomington in the Free State. While I don't speak for all East Asian immigrants, since I can't say we all have the same experiences, the path I've chosen of intersection and feminism has one goal in mind, to encourage and create conversation around unlearning and progression. My journey is ongoing. Along the road I've chosen to travel as an adult, I embrace my culture and ethnicity, as well as the confusion of feeling displaced as someone who doesn't seem to belong in either country of my birth or the one that I was raised in. Only as an adult am I able to make sense of it all. And so in a society that doesn't recognize me, I choose myself. I choose to reclaim yellow,
0: and unless you're yellow too, don't call me that. Thank you so much. That was amazing. It's always so much... It's a different experience when you read a book and then you hear the author talk about it, read <laughs> from the book itself. So, um, you started off your, your journey to literature began, I guess, with food writing. Yes. You began uh, a blog, which is now a website called butterfingers.co. Yes. And then you forayed into the world of, of cookbook writing. Yes. And now you're here in terms of memoirs. <sighs> Why the jump? Why not? I think people would have expected you to offer another cookbook. Yes. So, why did you jump into memoir
1: so for me food is political um, especially when we talk about it from a preservation and culture a cultural kind of perspective so for me just add rice wasn't just a cookbook um, for me my blog how it started was really to try preserve what culture my family has passed on to me here in south africa because we were not represented so there was never the intention of becoming a celebrity chef or becoming you know someone that's known for food but it became to the point where people were asking me for recipes um you know people wanted me to cook for them and it was it was a lot of fun and i get to be creative with cooking but in food and food media in South Africa, I realized that my stories kind of stopped at a, at a peak where I was no longer kind of addressing the issues that I wanted to in food because what initially started my career my, um, in food media was more about creating that representation of ourselves and to not only for the East Asian immigrant, but also for all others that are not represented in the food media space, and also to encourage others that are in that space to push themselves and to give them the support to push themselves. So my writing and my my thinking has always been critical, and and it has always been dissected. It has always tried to find the research to back it up and to understand why things are the way they are. So food was actually just one medium in terms of how I tell must how I tell stories mm-hmm. and to speak about cultural appropriation, to speak about the injustices that have that people of color face in these in this kind of industry. Um, but I felt that I had more to offer when it came came to stories and being able to share about identity, about race, about gender and from my perspective. And I feel that Yellow and Confused kind of does that for me in the sense where it allows me to really be honest and re- to be really transparent about Our experiences and what you see in Just That Rice, the stories there, it it touches on a snippet because you can't remove the two. Yes. Um,
0: Food has a relationship in terms of memory and experience and stuff. And and so your cookbook does sort of. Foray into your life experiences. And this is sort of like a continuation of that. Yes.
1: So there was this one chapter, this one recipe specifically um, uh, about kimbap, which is like, it looks kind of like sushi, but it's basically rolled rice with little cooked items inside Mm it. And that created this thing called the lunchbox moment, which I refer to, in and book, that yes. yes, and so that has a big chapter in Yellow and Confused because those two relate to each other, and in terms of how you, we're represented on a plate, how we're stereotyped to be seen in a certain way, it's so harmful that there's not only a lot of unlearning we have to do as um, for our own identities, but there's a lot of unlearning for other people to do in the way they see us.
0: Definitely, you you sp- you spoke about the lunchbox moment, but I recognize the, 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 what's the word? The trauma behind yes, it, yes. totally recognize that. Your book is a both combination of your personal experiences, but there's also a lot of fact and research and history into it. I walked away with so much more information, and I also walked away feeling that I knew your life's perspective so much better.
1: I really, like I said, I wanted to be really transparent about the way I saw things, because I think that my healing was to be able to contextualize the situation. And um, and if I can't contextualize it, if I can't understand, even if it was a racist thought or idea that was targeted at me, I'm not saying that person deserves sympathy, but I am saying that if I can understand the context of which they come from, maybe I won't be so angry. And you kind of understand that it's not even about individuals. It's about the system. It's about the system that we need to fight. And the system, we have to fight it on a constant basis. Just existing is fighting it. And I feel that if we didn't fight the system, then we kind of continue perpetuating the cycle. And our next generation will have the same issues. The next generation will have the same issues. And as a first-generation immigrant, I had no resources. I had no no idol to look out up to as a child. My idols were all white women. And, you know, and that says a lot for me in terms of representation, especially in a space like South Africa, we are be majority black, yet
0: our references are all white. Yes, yes, so true. You said something just now, and, you know, it's very, I, I come across, when every time I come across a person of colour largely... They're always so more colonized. Mm. And so even the little things that you're talking about, seeing yourself, representation, a lot of the time people of color, particularly Asian people, don't see the need no. for representation. And it's
1: disturbing. It is. and and But it also shows the generational um, aspect of things because culturally, um, ancient Chinese culture could dates back like 5,000 years. So there's a lot of indoctrinated uh, patriarchy and a lot of indoctrinated uh, conditioning involved. So we're not ones that are very um, loud. We, we don't, um, as a culture, we kind of walk away from a situation rather than make it worse. And especially in a country where first-generation immigrants feel like they're guests and if they don't feel like they belong to this country they would rather adopt the model minority kind of mindset and go with the flow but what I completely do understand about this and I I used to hate my parents for this like why did you raise me this way why did you bring me here if you don't want me to be me uniquely me um and from understanding their perspective of as first generation immigrants, you come here as adults. You've you don't have never experienced racism before because you grew up with people of your own kind. That look like, like you, yes. That look like you. But to bring your children here, to raise them in a space where you think you're offering them something better, a better future, but completely not realizing the psychological traumas that we would face as children and I had to come to understand that it wasn't their fault because they mm-hmm. they could never know they would have never known and that's why they as a generation are quieter they are more subtle they don't push back mm-hmm. and i think that as the younger generations like we feel like we belong here more mm-hmm. because we contribute to society here we we our friends are here our memories are here everything is based here that we we don't see ourselves as from the country of origin that our parents are of yes so well i'm culturally i'm taiwanese Mm -hmm. but as a noun as a person i i feel more south african i will never claim to be african because it's let's face it i am asian you Mm -hmm. look at me and i am asian definitely um but my nationality even though i wasn't born here i am a south african and i want to further the agenda of being a more progressive society with south africans who are fighting for it
0: the brilliant. You're just saying like everything electric like, boxes. And i like, I've yes, yes, yes. Yes. Uh, to maintain my like calm uh, No, be excited. <laughs> um, you said something as well, just now I'm must I must not forget. Okay, let's go back to okay. you wrote the cookbook and your family were very proud of you yes. and supportive. of when you told them you wanted to write a memoir, what was their reaction to that? my my mother was a little
1: bit like scorn because you know obviously i'm revealing a lot of stuff about our family Mm -hmm. very intimate things about our family that to put on the table but i have to say i'm so privileged to have parents who are on the unlearning journey with me brilliant and the thing is my mother was probably problematic for many many years and only recently has joined me on this unlearning journey like simple little things like because as immigrants we're also taught by those around us like what to say in english and mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. so like even the term like and it disturbs me so much like saying garden and boy like when i explained to my mother you can't say, say that it, yeah and i explained it to her gave her the context of what it was and she was she gasped and she said I didn't realize mm. and for her because it is another language on top of actually the yes. languages that she's yeah. actually fluent with um the context she would, she would never know yes and and the thing is but this kind of can be said for a lot of us that are either assimilated or kind of the, the the i don't see race group um
0: yeah
1: so and when it comes to those kind of groups it's like They also need to realize that a lot of their behavior, a lot of their thinking has been conditioned by media, by society that has always been racist. Definitely,
0: without a doubt.
1: And if we want to deny that we're racist, then we need to actively work on
0: not being racist. And hence the the process of learning and unlearning comes in. What I noticed since you brought it up was when I was done with the book and when I went through it the second time and I stepped away, I was like... Oh my God, this book, every single essay, because it's a collection of essays, is about learning and unlearning. You walk away from every essay, going into it with a certain perspective, if you didn't have Mm. a certain perspective, and then when you're done with it, you're like, oh, okay. And that's so amazing. And it's it's such a testament to your writing, but also to this project that you wanted to put forward to. So I wanted to say thanks for that. Thank you so much. And going back now to your mom, I was very touched by that because what you said, I can relate to as well because yeah. of my parents and my father and my parents as well. My, my father in particular and my mom are making that journey of unlearnings. Yes. And it's so emotional to see other people and other people's parents come to that as well because it's, it just shows that how racism and, and oppressive structures, sorry, has, has conditioned us to be so... Divisive towards each other exactly. In ways that we aren't aware Exactly
1: And and the thing is As like as an East Asian We are light-skinned So we, we do play part and parcel In terms of when it comes to privilege in mm. South Africa And especially as uh, Taiwanese immigrants Because I mentioned in the book How um, certain groups of uh, East Asian countries That immigrated here Were considered as honorary whites mm. Because we were allowed to live in spaces We were allowed to buy property You know, there's, there's a lot of privileges That were given to us mm-hmm because the apartheid government granted it. and But then you compare it to the local Chinese people who were displaced, who were uh, categorized as colored, who went through so much racism and discrimination on a systema- system- systematic level that you can't deny that there's a major difference between our groups. Mm-hmm. And that's why I, I almost felt like it was so important to, to reclaim the yellow terminology in the sense because of making sure people understand that it's... There's no such thing as one yellow. There's no such thing as one stereotype to encompass a whole freaking continent, if you put it in that sense. Cause like when people say Asian, they usually mean like, let skinned Asians. Asian. Yes. No, they,
0: they don't mean South Asians. And you broke it down. That's what I love about your book because again, like I said, it's personal experience, but there's so much fact and you really broke it down. So much analysis has gone into it. So much research as well. What was that like, that process of research?
1: so the research was actually more for myself and it was part of my unlearning process and also learning about the history of where things came from um especially from uh how do you say the, the kind of things that affected me so much and as soon as i could contextualize it and be able to like understand why and the way it why it is the way it is when things made more sense that confusion kind of like slowly starts to go away and when you're less confused i feel like you can be more i don't want to say eloquent but you can actually understand your arguments better you can understand why you feel anxiety when certain things happen why you feel like to validate the feelings that we have as people of color in south africa and i feel that. The research has done so much for me And when I share stories When I talk to people Just have dialogue and conversations Around unlearning um, and, and race and identity This There has always been something That people were always very interested in And they enjoyed the research behind it. They enjoyed the history lessons behind it And I also tried to you know, con- Convey it in a way that wasn't um, Textbook kind of style Definitely, that's what I noticed It's, <laughs> it's just sort of like a conversation I, I think coming from an advertising background uh, Being a copyright right to um like a concept is always key before a campaign so to yeah. say and the concept behind this really was to uh, express ourselves and also represent our, uh, represent myself and touch on people in my community touch on the different layers of yellow in my community and also to address the, my own problematic behaviors that i've come to realize need to be unlearned and need to To become more progressive, in order for myself to be a better human, to be a better ally, to anything really, it's if you want to grow as a human being, you need to exercise your mind like you would exercise your body to get fitter and
0: stronger. You touched in on something as well about the book itself. Is that compared to other memoirs, this memoir there's no holds barred. You talk about everything, (laughs) like. There were so many points I think where I thought, oh, is she gonna talk about this? And then you do, and I'm literally flabbergasted because it's it's not that some it's not like people when people write memoirs, they're very selective as to what they put yeah. out there. Why this approach, why be so honest? Why not follow the sheep and do what everyone else decided to do? Even the so-called woke people that are out
1: <laughs> Yes. So it's- I do not claim wokeness. I claim unlearning and I claim ignorance. You know what i i will happily say that i'm very ignorant on many many different things but this on identity on my personal identity I've come to realize that I know a lot more due to research, due to information, and the thing is, this information wasn't easy to access. It was from being so privileged that I could be in spaces where I was allowed to unpack, and and this I have to give to the Black South Africans. And, Definitely, amen. Yeah. Right, and yeah. and so like it's just being part of this, and when when they see you as an ally, when they see that you're on the same fight as they are they immediately embrace you. And I almost feel like I don't deserve to be embraced because of my problematic behaviours. But the way that they see it as is i'm making that conscious effort mm-hmm. to unlearn to be anti-racist because you can't be a non-racist in a society like ours you're either racist or you're anti-racist there's no in-between no in-between definitely. because if you keep silent you're
0: condoning that complicit it makes you complicit. exactly people don't understand that though no, no. especially especially my experience is that i find a lot of blacks South africans get shocked at the fact that when they encounter people that, like you and I that are yes, unlearning, yes. in the unlearning process, they get shocked because majority of people with, I I, can, I guess I can speak from the South Asian yeah. community, they don't even come close to any form of unlearning. Mm-hmm. So I understand that totally.
1: I think sometimes we, we use our identities as a crutch. And when we are problematic, especially to groups that experience more discrimination and racism that we do, that we kind of just like shut down and say, well, I'm, I'm also, you know, I'm in a space where I'm still unlearning and all of that kind of stuff. But if you claim and preach wokeness, it's problematic.
0: And if you, 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 you know, you, for clout and for coin, you do that, that's kind of very problematic.
1: Exactly. And for me, I don't claim wokeness. I don't claim progressive behavior. I claim unlearning. And, and this is where I am at in my journey. And I think I will always be there in my journey because I'm a light-skinned individual in the world that we are. Yes, I do get discrimination. I do receive discrimination and racism and sexism and all sorts of other things. But... I still need to acknowledge my privilege and i think that a lot of light-skinned folk don't understand that acknowledging your privilege is not the worst thing in the world mm-hmm. it's it's part of your learning process and can we ever be too arrogant to say that we know everything you can never know you everything can never
0: you can never especially like you, you mentioned something about uh, you will never claim to be woke And that's important because It's not a it's not a badge, it's an unlearning process It's constant because the system That was built around us and that we live in Is always going to try and come back in some way to, to get you to be regressive Exactly To be like, oh, you know, pull back in those stereotypes That have been forced down our minds and our throats Exactly,
1: like I mentioned in the one chapter In my, well, like in this one chapter in my book About the Asian American men That i encountered in this group that was about media brainwashing us you know and and i thought it was like it would be a good place to learn you know and especially now that i'm entering the international like the asian dysphora space and i was trolled in that group because my profile picture was of me and my white partner yes and initially i started defending myself because that's kind of your reaction to things it's like you need to defend yourself because you know that you're not wrong but then i realized that it wasn't my behavior that was the problem actually it was their behavior that was the problem. And why should I indulge the argument by triggering myself in that kind of space? And this was something that I learned in therapy from a woman of color. And she said to me that when you are in spaces like that, that don't support you, that look at you as an other, that stereotype you, that make you feel small, stop if you can and you have that um, that strength to remove yourself from the situation. Because not everyone needs your explanation. Maybe they don't even deserve your explanation. So I removed myself from the situation. And I have to say, that was like one of my profounding, like breaking moments in me- my mental health journey. And there was, I, I actually I stepped back for a little bit and I couldn't believe how much further I'd come from in the beginning where I probably just like, I would be angry. I would be depressed. I would, mm-hmm. you know, I would, because I, I couldn't understand. Mm-hmm. But then one year later after going to therapy and actually being in that kind of space and being able to remove myself i could see my growth in terms of how much i've um i've learned from the initial
0: space to also touch on what you just said you you mentioned your relationship and how much it is it's become a problem for you within spaces Mm -hmm. i guess yes and uh can we talk about what else you went into with your relationship? I mean, Kyle is a white man. Yes. You touch on the fa- uh, what it's like to be a person of color in a relationship with a white person and how the whiteness, the system of whiteness, affects your relationship. So many other authors, pe- uh, people people of color, authors of color, they, when they do their memoirs whatever, they avoid this completely. Everything sunshine's and shines, but you decided to be honest about it. Why?
1: So there's, there's the idea that this concept that's perpetuated by society saying that if everyone was mixed race, there would be no more racism. And I cannot tell you how much bullshit that is. <laughs>
0: um, Can you tell me why that? it's oh, bullshit? Yes, tell them why it's bullshit.
1: So my partner and I, we've been, we were together. Uh, and the thing is, I've never been I've always been on the unlearning journey and it's only been the, the, like let's say the last four five years where I've been able to be in the spaces to increase my vocabulary to increase my understanding and the terminology that needs to be used for the feelings and the experiences that I had so my partner the same also had to do the unlearning journey with me so when when we first met it was through through a friend and stuff and so he wasn't he was always progressive in a way but there were also issues um that i didn't even see myself because Mm -hmm. like the concept of a pick me girl in that sense where you know like i i i didn't realize how much whiteness had overtaken who i was because I needed to be in white spaces and to be palatable, to be accepted, to find jobs, to you know, to survive essentially. To
0: assimilate yeah, to I assimilate. Mean, yeah.
1: And and to realize how problematic that was for myself and my mental health. Okay. And then also what my Kyle had to go through on his side. And he wanted to unlearn and he so badly wanted to be he's my bestie, you know. We we've gone through so much together, and I'm so proud of the strides that he has made like i am proud of myself Mm -hmm. and our relationship is an ongoing journey we i can't say that and the thing is i think what's what's a little bit easier in the space for him to understand a lot of things is that because i'm Mm light-skinned because i have that privilege i'm very much accepted in white spaces as long as i'm you know i don't speak my truth and because of that i understand white society very well mm-hmm. because sometimes they forget i'm asian i don't know how but sometimes i forget i'm asian and they like full-on are racist about black people in front of me as though i would be okay with it
0: but i also find that happens to me and I'm, and i'm literally stuck on this moment yeah and i'm thinking like wait a minute this is a racist moment I oh have... my gosh yes
1: and they've included me in the circle of, why are they of included me? why <gasps> you ask yourself why why and I realised it's because I've been playing the model minority the whole time. I've never expressed my true feelings of situations that actually have occurred. Like, I touch on a story in my book about how I called a, 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 like an extended family member out on his side for, you know, being casually racist, um, but I literally got no support from within that household because they, they didn't understand what casual racism was because everyone uses those kind of words. So it was it's like normalized. it's normalized. So like only shit comes out of China. And and for me, yeah, I know. But like I understand the context of where it comes from. So while they try to explain it to me, you don't need to explain it to me. I understand and I, I'm educated enough to know where the context comes from. Mm-hmm. But when I, the person that's affected, a person that's part of that marginalized community that has been oppressed by stereotypes like this, if I say something, wouldn't it be better to listen to me, as opposed to defend yourself, go, you know, completely invalidate my experience,
0: and just end up with I'm a racist. It would be, but I think many people haven't come to that point of, like, no. you know, that willingness to, like, unlearn and even mm. be perceptive, because for them, it's, life has always been this way, and there yes. hasn't been a problem, so why is there a problem now? Yes. You know? So, um, yeah, but you speak also about Kyle's family in the book. That was... Uh, like heavy, which is terrifying
1: so moments. Um the thing is, like I said, I was I'm on an ongoing journey of mm-hmm. awakening. So obviously f- who I was in the very beginning when I first met them, you know, like I, I wanted them to like me and you know, mm-hmm. to cast, you know, parent family and to stuff. Fit in, you know, yeah. to fit in and stuff. But then when I realized that me fitting in there meant me losing a lot of who I was and I I got into a space where you know what i don't want to tolerate this anymore if there's casual racism whether it's about me whether it's about other people of color i'm not going to tolerate this because i don't want this to happen in front of me so i would rather be seen as the problematic one if they'll stop speaking like this in front of me i can't stop them from saying it elsewhere but they need to know that in front of of me me, they can't do this i do not accept and i will not tolerate this we we fight or flight, you know that that's kind of sense. And yeah. the thing is, it's part of our human like behavior. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I wouldn't say that what I have is strength. I would say that what I have is. My personality, my true personality coming mm. out. Because after being conditioned and being told to be a certain way, not only by my culture, but by Western society. Mm. And when I speak about Western society, I include South Africa because. I'm lot... still very
0: formed by Exactly.
1: That. Yeah. And so while I've kind of like not good enough for either groups, I almost, well, to survive, I assimilated into a lot of the ways that mm. I realize now as an adult that I'm not. Like even being feminine I think I went through a stage Where I wore skirts and heels And I realized Like actually I'm not that feminine I, I enjoy You know I enjoy being masculine I will sit with my legs open I will You know It's, uh-huh. it's not It doesn't bother me But if it bothers someone else That's their problem and only like slowly I've come to realize that that's their problem mm-hmm. and with all of that I really I just I want people to realize that it's not all hunky-dory it's mm. not all sunshine and rainbows oh interracial couple they are the future of the world and, and I like that no song, that's not that's true
0: but, but, but just the fact that you did that I, I, do you understand how monumental that is because I have been to so many launches and I've been to so many memoirs and stuff and whenever the topic and the issue comes about what the dynamics are it's always a avoided mm-hmm. and so for me when for me to see a person of color an asian person talk about this yeah. was so powerful and i was like yes yes because there's always within, even within the industry the industry the publication industry and entertainment industry itself is largely white yes so yes. there's always a pressure to conform don't say certain things or say certain things
1: but this is what i have a privilege over you because you're darker than i am
0: yes i guess so yeah
1: this is when People in privilege also need to know that they need to use their privilege. Mm. And if the interracial relationships and you know those kind of dynamics, mm. those kind of stories aren't being shared by darker people with white partners, then well, why shouldn't I be sharing it? Because I do have the privilege to mm. I, you know, and and for me, it's like I know Carl has my back, and he's my as sometimes yes we will disagree or whatnot, but as soon as he. Gains context, he understands. And it's... it's, Because the thing is, I completely understand that it's a hectic learning curve for him as well. Mm -hmm. And while I don't excuse racism and I don't excuse bigotry and, you know, all those kind of things, it's... I also... For him, as an individual, as my partner, I choose him and I can see his growth. I can see his continuous efforts to unlearn. And for me, that's kind of like the most we can ask for from whiteness and or people in privileged positions. Mm. And so like I I said, I don't claim wokeness. I'm unlearning every day and I learn so much from especially black women.
0: Mm -hmm. Um, Definitely. Uh, Sam, my unlearning process began because of black women. Right? Yeah. Like So
1: like going to another chapter,
0: in my book. I don't know if you want to talk about them, um, the restaurant. Uh, I wanted to again when I, <laughs> when I began the book and I thought because obviously we follow each other on social media yes. and stuff. And I had an idea of you were involved in this certain situation but I, I wasn't sure whether you were going to tackle things. again people don't always include everything that no. like you... Said if it, Tell us a little bit about what happened and uh, the trauma behind all of that.
1: So I saw on Facebook, someone actually shared a, like a Facebook page and it was called Me So Horny. And there was like food pictures in that shared page. And then I was kind of like, oh, what the fuck is this? And I, I clicked on it and it was a whole restaurant in Johannesburg, in Marvel that called themselves Me So Horny. It was owned by two white men who stumbled upon this... Asian fusion restaurant idea in Germany and decided to bring it back to the South Africans.
0: Yeah, haven't we heard that story before? Right, right. Yeah.
1: And so the problem with this is in food media space, there was also an article about it on Eat Out website.
0: Mm-hmm. And promoting it, yes, promoting it. Yeah, yeah.
1: And while they kind of touched on the misogyny in, um, you know, like in the little bits of spaces and stuff, there was a completely lack of intersections when it came to race. But that's largely what white media is about. Exactly. But literally a month before that, I was at New Media Publishing, and I'd done a presentation on cultural appropriation, the harms of it, and how to avoid it. And especially from a PR side, from a, you know, like big companies, and having worked in advertising myself as a copywriter. I, I know what goes on in the back end I know the you know I know how you do PR responses I know these kind of things and kind of, a lot of people still taking kind of like for a puss about that because like they don't realize what my background is and they argue with me like I have no context into what I'm talking about so that was also a little reason why I moved away from the food industry focusing my work on the food industry so much because I realized that food media in general is not really that supportive of um, of unlearning and so i I did a presentation there and they rah rah they were happy to unlearn and stuff they were happy to understand but then i see this article on their website a month later to support this restaurant and so, my, the first thing I did actually, I, I tweeted about this restaurant with disdain. You know, like mm-hmm. it was actually, I just put in facts. on like, one. This pro, uh, So, this restaurant basically covers four different Asian <laughs> cultures.
0: To and not just, further perpetuate the stereotype exactly. that all of you dis- are the same group. Oh, exactly. You know?
1: Mishmash it all into one. And then to use Miso Horny, where the terminology comes from. Um, so, Stanley Kubik um, in full, the Full Metal Jacket kind of made it popular. Um it was basically a um, sex worker's trying to survive after the war and how is this something to poke fun at how is this something that's nice and from an east asian woman's experience i swear every single one of us has heard Miso so and i love you long time said to us in a very grossly sexual way mm-hmm. and some of us and i'm like and it's so disgusting to say this but I'm lucky I hadn't been raped yet because of it. I, there are so many cases in the States, in the UK, in Australia, about East Asian women, Southeast Asian women, literally being used... Um, objectified and then raped because of this stereotype. stereotype that yeah. we're submissive, that we we love to be uh, you know dominated. By a white like, man, yes, exactly. And for me, it's just it was such a terrible. Uh, it was so triggering as well because I've experienced sexual assault while these words were hurled at me before, and people in general still use it as casual conversation they still say oh we love you long time you know me so morning you know like it's jokes and for me it's like oh my gosh you do not understand how triggering it is to hear this you know to to go back to the trauma that i had to experience in this like through sexual assault and stuff and why do i have to explain my assault to you for you to be considerate of something you've never experienced before and so obviously Misa PR PRPR they announced that well not everyone will understand it and you know what, it's um it's it's not meant to hurt anyone. So, you know, you know typical it's
0: just let it go. Yeah, a
1: non apology apology. And I, I didn't take that. <laughs> I continued like um talking about it on Twitter and I just said like this is not an apology. You know, like, it, you like this is totally not an apology. And then they said that they got their validation from an East Asian...
0: The token. Yeah, yeah. You know, the the token. token POC that every white group has to defend their racism. Exactly. And
1: it is a local Chinese man. And you know what? A Chinese man will never have experienced the sexual assault... <sighs> that a woman would have that experienced. That a woman would have experienced. But it wasn't only them that kind of, like, um, that made it worse. Like, I, I got a lot of trolls actually, like, targeting me. There was a lot of hate coming my way throughout the whole my campaign circle to say i got so much hate thrown at me and it became so like invasive and this is the oh, i'm not gonna tell you about we this. Up for the book. Yeah, it's, exactly.
0: it's really i was shocked though that it went to that level guys it went to like a heavy level but i mean like mental health okay this is a question that i really really want to ask yes. you this book contains a lot of trauma yes how did you cope Writing, uh, you're basically archiving all these moments from your life and deal with that trauma because you do have a chapter that talks about mental health, yes. uh, an essay that focuses on mental health itself. But writing the book again, goes back and revisiting many of these things. That's so kind of like
1: it was very triggering, um, and also it wasn't exactly in the best time as well when I was writing this book because I, I was pregnant mm-hmm. and um. So I was gonna ask you, about <laughs> your mom,
0: but bring it in, bring it in. Bring it in. <laughs> so,
1: um I, I got this so i kind of just like tweeted that i'm interested in writing something about like my personal experiences in south africa and i was wondering if the south african literature space even had like room for a, um, for writing like this because um after just ed rice came out um one of the most amazing things happened and i was invited to attend the open book festival as a panelist and i was on uh, four different panels where I, I was included in feminism is where i was how do you say validated in my experiences as a feminist and my voice and the kind of the, the things that i would speak about and that place gave me that strength into believing that maybe maybe I can do something like this And so my my friend Timbella hey Timbilla, um she told me tweet it put it in the universe and just see where that goes the worst thing can happen is nothing you know mm-hmm. so I tweeted it and here comes Neymar Franquela, the publishing editor. I, would, I've, I was so sorry I missed you at an Open Book Festival, but my team were there and they raved on you so hard. Can we meet up for coffee? And I'm like, what? Yeah. I was like, I, I couldn't couldn't believe this really because. But again, it's. It, it was so humbling to also work with someone like Naima who supported me throughout the whole process and every single time she gave me a deadline she was like I completely understand that you're pregnant and if you can't meet this deadline it's okay but for me meeting deadlines was very important and was also t- um, how do I say it is very cultural but um, I, I feel strongly about this but to respect another person's time and to respect the deadline um, in that so I, I really tried hard to meet all my deadlines and then I had to um, um, give birth a month early because i had a liver condition called um, cholestasis so i had to deliver a month early and that was during the time when my edits were happening <laughs> how did you even manage
0: that and um, again you were archiving so much trauma from your entire life yeah in the space of time while you were pregnant yeah i think people don't understand how hard it is to write as a woman who, who is pregnant yeah. it's it's very difficult
1: no, like I said uh, remember I told you about I left my phone in the fridge the one day because like things just happen when you're pregnant yeah. and like this porridge brain thing that, we, that women speak about it's so true it, it really does happen and you know like this little fetus is sucking up all your nutrients and mm-hmm. everything that's part of you and I was nauseous like throughout my entire pregnancy so it wasn't like oh it's the first trimester thing you know it's like every single woman experiences pregnancy differently and we also need to acknowledge that and like but that being said it's not part of my book (laughs) yeah (laughs) but to revisit all of that trauma and to actually like put it into context and stuff so as to say it wasn't necessarily really healing to write the book Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. but the reviews that i've gotten from it the dialogues that 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 i've been having with people around it have been healing because i know that they're better off
0: that's and a, that makes me feel better off many authors have actually said similar things to you and i'm going to, on my way here i was actually yeah. thinking is men going to say the same thing because they yeah. said generally the process of, of going through all the trauma is not obviously you don't after it's done and written you don't feel any i haven't read it again
1: you know yeah because you don't want to revisit it no.
0: and then and but then after speaking to people about how the book has helped them and how they identified it, that some sort of healing has come yes. to that itself yes wow the book also doesn't Continue. just your voice. Can you talk us so a bit about other voices that appear in the book as well?
1: So I include um, many different layers of yellow within South Africa. And these are people that I look up to, people that I've come across, that all f- fall under the yellow spectrum. So I include local Chinese. Um, I include immigrant Chinese, mm-hmm. uh, Japanese, Korean. Across Korea, the diaspora. Across, Brand. yes, every single person that I felt is also someone in their in their space as a um as a person who also wants to be progressive and has these kind of dialogue and mm. i wanted to include them like i made sure that i included
0: queer people in in that space as well because like, because you do touch on sexuality as well, because that's what i'm saying there's so much in this book <laughs> yes that you touch on so many things like was there anything that you okay wait Answer the question. <laughs> Ask
1: me this time. Yeah. Um, so, like I, I made sure to include people that were also making differences in South um, Africa. And like one of my favorite people, and I'm, I'm meeting her again this evening, is Kayun Leung. and she is a, a human, like a human rights lawyer activist that uh, helps immigrants right, in I. South Every time I look at her, I'm like, wow, you are goals." and the thing is she feels the same way about me and like I almost feel like I don't deserve that like I'm not fighting for anyone and doing anything legal and you know like it's I don't feel that way at all,
0: but this book Does that it's 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 I although I'm a South Asian male guy and gay and all that There's so much that I could come into with this book It's just phenomenal Thank you. Like, no, no, blush like, But you know, what I wanted to ask you is like, were you at all afraid? Because I know that many people who, like, a lot of authors have gone on record saying when they write an autobiography mm-hmm. within the autobiography genre, they're never fully prepared for the types of questions that people put to them in terms of like, because they're opening themselves up, people generally think that it's. Uh, that they can ask like even very intrusive and disrespectful mm. questions. Were you ever afraid of something like that coming up?
1: I think that part of my unlearning process was realizing that I can say no.
0: Ah, oh, that's a good
1: that's Especially if it's something is triggering and I have this amazing publishing team behind me mm. that supports me when I want to say no. So I've turned down uh, like a festival and stuff and, and that's because it doesn't reflect mm. what I stand for and because I am privileged to do so, I must do it and oh
0: <laughs> <Stop digging. laughs> yeah.
1: yeah, so it's, it's it's very important to me to uh, to make sure that um the the spaces that my book is also featured on reflects what i stand for mm-hmm. like this was like many years ago and like every forum actually contacted me because like Oh, this Asian person speaks Afrikaans because she comes from Bloemfontein, and uh, they wanted to feature me on some I don't know what thing, and it was around like food blog, my food mm-hmm. blog and stuff, and I just saw every forum in my email, I replied, uh, and I said, I refuse to be connected to every forum in any way because everything I stand
0: for, you are against. Mm-hmm. Good luck. But you see, that again, Ming, speaks to so much to your character as a person because I know so many people, and we both know so many people who would have said, yeah, okay. It's coined there, mm. it's more chance. So, again, it, it's, it's a testament to your character as a person and your, the, the unlearning you have done oh, as well. Yeah. So, bravo again for that. I, I mm. keep saying bravo because, again, many people are not committed to the unlearning process and it's very yeah. frustrating. Yeah. Do you also have that problem like within your spaces where...
1: Oh, definitely. Um, how do you
0: cope? A lot of times, like, this past year for me, I've literally isolated myself from, and people that I know mainly because it's like it's that it's exhausting yeah Yeah. it's exhausting defending your how do you say your
1: right to live and telling someone hey that's wrong yeah you know no it gets very very tiring and it's like it's really about how much energy you want to put into it like i mentioned in my book as well you don't have to give every friend your energy to help them and learn because the thing is if you post about this stuff generally like do they not know you enough that you know they, they, they could try and understand like and the thing is it's it's always the the idea of the attack on whiteness or the attack on uh on men you know -hmm. and and Mm -hmm. the thing is it's just to be to understand intersections for me that was a big learning curve as well because like i have to say like i had conditioned racist thoughts i probably Mm -hmm. still have them Mm -hmm. you know they come up every now and then and i check myself
0: yeah Yeah. it comes back to grab you yes
1: and if i don't check myself like i'm so grateful that i do have friends that will check me for it Mm -hmm. and when they do I realize that I need to actually humble myself and just not say anything, learn from it. And because the thing is, they don't actually want an apology. That's not what they want. They want you to be better. Mm
0: -hmm. And that's what I meant earlier when you said there's no ego behind your book because when someone comes up to you, you're prepared to take a step back and see how you have maybe offended them and you're willing to unlearn and rectify. And that's what I meant earlier when we spoke before the show, before we started, was that there's no ego behind your words and your book and your character and stuff and it comes out in the book I don't I wasn't sure whether you were aware of that <laughs> no. but it comes off like you don't you talk about that and the importance of that and it's so refreshing and it's enriching I wanted to talk with before we go completely out of time um, <laughs> like just a bit of lighthearted questions can yes. you tell me three books that you have like an emotional connection with in your life
1: Oh wow, this is really hard. Um,
0: On the top of your head, that comes up, I and mean, okay. it changes. I mean, it changes throughout life. So
1: mm-hmm. I only started reading this. I haven't finished it yet because mm-hmm. I'm enjoying every single word, page by page. Is Doctor Laling is right already? Yeah, yes, the, yes, yeah. you know, the Doctor
0: T sex book. Yes, <laughs> yes. she is such an
1: amazing woman. And
0: it's so important to have the conversation. Exactly, yes.
1: especially coming from a culture where we don't talk about sex, we don't yeah. talk about gender, we don't talk about consent, and mm-hmm. and for me, that's a lot of it. Was I actually realizing today that many of my past relationships there wasn't a lot of consent
0: involved or you
1: know there was a lot of like
0: people don't understand what consent especially exactly. men don't understand consent
1: yeah you know? and mm-hmm. like and also to be able to forgive you know and to to go forward and mm-hmm. being stronger going forward like i think dr t has does, done mm-hmm. this amazing job and she's yeah, you know, i just i wish her all the success so her book definitely is one of them um but from a more light-hearted perspective i really enjoyed intruders by mohala masiguel mm-hmm. because it's african fiction like mermaids and you know like (laughs) mermaids and uh, zombies you know located in africa it's just like it's just this how do you say my the, the fictional stories that I've always had were always so white, where the mm-hmm. people of color were tokens, and mm-hmm. it was just so like refreshing to kind of like have this
0: complete different change. Yes. And yeah, it's a different energy, exactly, and it's a different feel. Like to the point where even now I can't consume anything that's all white, if it's got the same narrative, all oh, mm. main white guy, main white girl with the POC friend that's there to be sassy, exactly. Sorry, no, yeah. I, mean, I
1: can't do that now. And and the thing is, like her book just it's just been such a fun read, and it's a mm-hmm. compilation of shorts stories so mm-hmm. you can like read a few and put it down mm-hmm. and then read a few again or you revisit the old ones that you really liked and mm-hmm. you look know, kind of read something new and it's just it's, it's been a lot of fun and then um i think that i have to give it to um matilda Dahl. oh that was amazing
0: born. and for
1: me as a child not well not having representation around me but to Feel Matilda's isolation in who she was, her love for the library, her love for books, her love for reading. Like I connected so much with her, just as an individual, and like a, you know, on her, you know, in terms of her personality. And I, I, think that just being a woman, like and you know, in the space of where you're not seen, and as a person of color, knowing that our voices are not you know heard, and to be able to connect with that at such a young at such a young age, was. Beautiful and the fictional aspect to it with
0: magic and all
1: that, you know, how can you not love magic? Definitely. definitely. (laughs) Uh one more question.
0: Yes. Before I ask you to give us a you've been doing a lot of probo now for both your cookbook and now this book. Yes. And you've had some been a part of so many panels and you've had so many interviews and is there was there ever a question you wish you were asked out there, but you've never been asked that question? And what is that question and what is the answer to that question? Um,
1: what is your... Oh, well, no, not really, hey. I, I actually... Um, you're, like you said, stumped, hey? Because <laughs> um, the thing is, like, Yellow and Confused wasn't necessarily... A, a displayment of myself for the mm-hmm, world. Mm-hmm. It was more actually a reference for mm-hmm. people to be able to use for themselves mm-hmm. and to be able to contextualize things and to understand things. So while my stories, yes, my, might be the focal point of my unlearning, but it's really about the experience and wanting others to see the experience through my eyes, mm-hmm. whether they can relate or not. And um, I think it's just about adding that voice in that kind of space. where Because like Asian deospora stories are mostly based on east asian or southeast asian in a very white space mm-hmm. and while this is the same for what i've been writing about but we're in a country that's black we're mm-hmm. in a continent that is black we need to it's it's a it's almost kind of a new um a, a new uh, milestone in a sense for us to have this as an Definitely. experience, as a voice. Mm-hmm. So um, I've, honestly, I, I don't know what the question would be, Um, but I really would like to explore that side mm. a lot more about... Uh, why it's problematic Mm -hmm. to succumb to whiteness Mm -hmm. when
0: it's a minority
1: in the country that you're in
0: so what are you working on now what can we expect
1: um so like i said pregnancy has been quite a difficult journey um Mm -hmm. and now early motherhood as well i love my kid she's fucking awesome but you're it's hectic it's a and, big change and i have to like give it up to all the single mothers out there definitely yeah. because like i i have such incredible support from my parents and from my partner that i, I cannot imagine them not being around to help me with like yes. to, to do this not help like for my parents it's help for my partner because he's the father of my child um so this is like i don't know how single mothers do it and i think that like pregnancy in itself and motherhood in itself has been so romanticized and it's so beautiful and daisies and Mm, when you meet your baby for the mm, first mm, time you instantly bond and it's like i kind of didn't have any mm, of those things you know i spoke about my unborn child as a fetus and then i got so much flack from people mm -hmm. for calling this it's scientific term, you know, mm-hmm. like I would say, I love you as a human or mm-hmm. I can say I love my fetus. Mm-hmm. You know, like it's yeah. it's it's been and the kind of like shit that women have actually like uh, tried to preach to me about um and all the unsolicited advice and you know all of that. And it's just like
0: I think that's I was is, wondering about that yeah. because the moment you say you're pregnant, there comes everybody to tell to do that. that. Yes. Don't
1: worry, nausea will only last for the first trimester bull fucking shit. I had it throughout the whole entire I got lost weight like, a lot of weight in the mm-hmm. beginning. And, like, I think I ended up maybe only being, like, five, six Ks heavier than I originally was.
0: Which, which is obviously very different from what other people experience it, as well.
1: And, like, having cholestasis with the, the liver condition and all these other little things that kind of happen in between. And finding out that actually it's not that uncommon in pregnancy to experience that. Mm-hmm. But we don't hear about it. Because it's not is... part of
0: the media narrative. Exactly. It. And yeah. I think
1: that, for me, it's about
0: disrupting patriarchy every day mm-hmm. like the t-shirt i'm wearing today i, was about to, I love <laughs> your t-shirt it's so awesome it's really awesome she's wearing a really amazing t-shirt that says <laughs> disrupt the patriarchy every day which is awesome
1: and and for me, like just existing as uh, outside of the norms of what society is,
0: you are disrupting patriarchy. Definitely, definitely. And this book disrupts. Some people are going to love it, and some people are not going to oh, be very happy.
1: I actually haven't uh, gotten anyone who da- well has said anything negative, negative yeah, to me. Yeah. Now, only one thing, but I don't see it as a negative perspective. But my high school principal actually mm-hmm. read my book, okay. and he. He spoke to me, about, he came to one of my talks at Open Book Festival and stayed after to have a chat with me. And he said to me, what he found so profound was how self-critical I was.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And, but I also said to him that this actually is an East Asian like, cultural mindset. Like, this is not me uniquely me. Mm-hmm. It's just because I've been given the privileges to contextualize and break yeah. things down that I'm able to, you know, approach it with such critical thought but in terms of like our cultures and who we are we we are very self critical because we it's never good enough um especially as immigrants mm-hmm. when uh your parents kind of expect you to like go into certain fields and stuff because those are protected jobs if mm-hmm. you get a qualification and you get a job in that you're kind of secure mm-hmm. whereas for me in the creative industry there's no security mm-hmm. and um So that being said, it was it's kind of it's just yo a little bit harder.
0: (laughs) (laughs) So 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 you are working on something at the moment. Um,
1: I think I'm working on something every day. Uh, but um, Um,
0: which you like to tell us which realm it falls? Is it back to cooking? Is it back? Is it still with the nonfiction? Is it nonfiction?
1: I I do want to continue with nonfiction, (laughs) and I think that uh, just pregnancy and motherhood. Um, I think th- are topics that would I would like to challenge, and also my experiences
0: from in, your perspective. Yeah, yes.
1: and also my experiences in the publishing industry, and my experiences awesome. Well, that would be
0: juicy and nice. I can't wait for that. And a
1: bigger focus on working in advertising. Awesome,
0: awesome. as a
1: woman of oh, as a woman
0: of color and a person of color. And Brilliant. Yeah, I look forward to that. We all do. <laughs> Thank you. Can you, you to just do one last reading before I can indeed. Um,
1: We can learn much from another person's experience and we need to try and see the world from their different perspective, but we also need to understand that one person's lived experience isn't the same as another's and we don't always have to try relate. Sometimes we just can't and we shouldn't force it. You don't have to be able to relate in order to sympathize or empathize. I also read as much as I can and in educating myself, I try to learn about cultural and social differences between people, which helps me to better understand different reactions. Social media in its different guises can be valuable too. Twitter is a great platform to learn about different views. It allows you to exercise your mind the way you would your body, to be stronger, healthier, and continuously striving to find balance. Admittedly, I find I make bigger efforts with my, um, my ambitions to exercise my mind than I do my physical body, which isn't exactly ideal. But I want to move forward. I want to be in a constant state of awakening. I want to reach further towards lighter consciousness. Ming
0: Chao Lin, thank you.
1: Thank you so much for having me.
0: Yellow and Confused is published by Kuella Books. You have been listening to the Wonderful Words podcast. You can download this episode as well as other episodes of the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Wasimi Imam Saheb. Thank you for listening.